This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me You're not gonna do nothing, you are not above me I bet you wish you was me, I know that I know What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Only Friends podcast. <laughs> Lynn. <laughs> What's the matter, Mark? It's just, it's just like, it's good. come what? on, bro. It's what? like, what's the problem? Can we get an ounce of professionalism what? in here? He looks great. He got his headphones on. He's, he not, take, he's not on his phone. No blanket. No blanket to be off. seen anywhere. The no blanket. Second, there is no blanket. None. No blanket. The no second <laughs> Guapo said mics are hot. No, that, I, I got unlucky there. I ran bad. <laughs> what do you mean? I ran Words bad. came out of his mouth and then you go, holy shit, we're starting. Yeah, what, I mean, what's funny about that is he, that he reacted verbally to it. Like, right. He, he didn't does. say anything. He literally always No one does. would have noticed. Yeah. <laughs> He didn't react verbally. Uh, there's no voice in his head. It's just like <laughs> immediately uh, it, it comes out. We're a very transparent show. Okay, <laughs> we, we let everybody know what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, we make it obvious exactly how incompetent we are yeah. when we fuck these right, things up. We right. have with the five-minute countdown. Mm-hmm. You'll see us walk up here at 30 seconds left. And it by, makes, by us, I mean it me. makes us more real, you know? Mm. I, uh, That's what we tell ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we didn't put, put you guys real. on the five-minute countdown to get that hand history uploaded. Oh, man. I don't think we would have made it. I think we would have just hit a flat line. This is what happens when you have really complicated hand histories with five-way action and all sorts of shit going on. That is true. We have a spicy one for you guys today whenever we do get into the Strat Chat Chat. Strat Chat. Chat, chat. It was good. Chat, chat, chat. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah, it was you fine. You doubted yourself. I did it. doubt myself. Well, look, man, I've I, I got a lot of doubt these days when it comes mm-hmm. to my uh, my understanding of the English language. I'm I'm being challenged on what ecology means right now. You're, and you're fighting wars on multiple fronts right now. You're, <laughs> you're fight. fighting off all kinds of accusations. You're not. We're not going to say you're fighting a good fight, but you're fighting a. I'm fighting a fight. A fight. A fight yeah. Honestly, like I I strongly considered not engaging. So for you didn't. Yeah, for you the, never, no, I really never didn't. once did you ever cross your mind <laughs> really and not did. engage. I, you guys have no idea how many tweets I deleted before I actually hit. Oh, send. we know, but you, you still no hit clue. send. Uh, but for, for everybody to get caught up with what's going on, Daniel, the other day, and we're going to talk about this, uh, in the early part of the show, of, uh, you know, what percentage should be in the money. Uh, we kind of came to an agreement. We didn't come to an agreement. We were both in the same thread, kind of agreeing that 15% is just better for the overall ecosystem. Uh, but Daniel kept saying ecology. And I let it slide until he said something snide to me. And he, I don't even think he meant to be snide. He was just like, oh, look at that, buddy. We agree. And I was just like, just for the record, it's fucking ecosystem, not ecology, as the overseer of big words. Mm. And he accepted it. But now here we are 48 hours later, and he's posting a definition of both to my timeline. I just couldn't take it I anymore. I love that he, he's been stewing on it for like two days. Right. He's, like, <laughs> right. he's been on dictionary.com for the last like 48 hours straight, just like trying to find a way to prove you're wrong. The and best part is like on uh, on sites, you can inspect element and you can write text <laughs> so he can change the definition to whatever he wants it to be. Oh, like, that's oh, kind of wow. funny. To get one, ha- to get one over on well, you. He obviously didn't do it, but like he could have. Even right. if you can't get one over on me, the root word of ecology is ology. It means study. Like there's just mm-hmm. no getting around this one. I, I'm not. <laughs> 
not like some rocket scientist knowing root. You need this win so bad. No, I don't need the win. Like that's the thing. This isn't a fucking win in any stretch. It's just it's what it is to me, and I know that. Uh, I know that. <laughs> How happy you are. Well, I I think this is really funny. <laughs> I just think this is like really fun. Like so I think it's, it's very hilarious. It's really funny because Daniel's doing the exact thing that people always accuse you of doing. Exactly. Which is which is digging in and never admitting that you're you're uh, you're wrong or anything like that. Right. Like two days later, I'm having definitions of you know fifth grade words being posted to my timeline of somehow <laughs> trying to make them interchangeable when they're not which i find to be i was literally gonna say you should just go to the spelling bee <laughs> <laughs> you versus daniel and high stakes spelling bee i would get crushed i stink at spelling i spell everything kid. phonetically <laughs> um but but the, but what i find to be funny about this is that it's it's somehow like being debated which you know there's just clearly no debate here uh and for me this like demonstrates i think the crux of why daniel and i had such a big blow up to begin with is because you know like to even to even post the definition of ecology and ecosystem and somehow try to infer that they are interchangeable in some capacity is like thinking i'm so dumb that you could pull the wool over my eyes and just like you know move the goalpost i don't in some think capacity. he wants a win i think he wants like a half point yeah which but is that I can tell totally, you. Love look, half points. Well, look, because like Merge. nobody uses nobody uses the next closest word to what I actually meant more than me. I get it, man. I am I am the king of bastardizing the English language. I will take two words that sound similar and smash them together and make them one all the time. So like I totally understand that. You were right about lambasted. I don't even remember. We had a conversation Lambasted, about lambasted. You remember this? No. Wow, wow, you forgot your own win. I don't care about this stuff. Like, <laughs> it's just funny in the moment. Landon, yeah. Landon's been keeping a record of all your wins. He does. He's got a ledger. He's just like... It's like, from, got, uh, it's like Ryan from the office with a notepad. <laughs> Scoreboard. Yeah. I mean, that actually makes sense because it seems as though you're keeping quite the tally between you and Becker as we yeah. saw with uh, your, your tweet that you fired yeah, up last it night. It was late, man. It was 3 a.m. I, I was like, you know what? I got to fire the tweet out in time, but... It, it might not hit. So the backstory behind so this... So many captions went through my brain, you the, know? The, the, was the, it the roulette one? Yeah. 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 The backstory behind this, which is I'm finding to be quite humorous, is that him and Becker are basically just creating template, like meme templates for one another mm -hmm. to put these tweets out. So landed bag day 1A of the win 600 yesterday? Yeah. Okay. And Becker sent you that picture, right? Yeah. Okay. So Becker just like gives them the layup of like, mm -hmm. here's a picture of me. Well, he captioned was, he it was as like, you I'm at the, table, at the roulette table. If you want to come take a, come get the picture. And I was like, man, like we're, we're break just ended. Yeah. And he's like, all right, I, yo me one. <laughs> right. So he just like sends him this, <laughs> which is funny. Yeah. And uh, honestly, this is going to be such a fun drinking hand. You, you two just sending each other memes and just like one-upping each other constantly in cooperation with each other. It's going to be great. It's going to be so the, much fun. Yeah, part of it's like, I don't know how much, like, if it makes it better with or without context. Like, good example being the first one he posted with the MTC. It was like, oh, GG buddy. Was not even a spot where he stacked me and people took like, oh shit, like he got, like he got him. Like, showers. Yeah, because it was a good meme. Right. But like... 
He's winning. How, I know he's winning, but like, how much of the? I'm, I can give him a point. Mm, how, half point. Well, actually, Daniel told him to tweet that. Like, oh, half point to D next. There you go. We, we, we go full circle. He's got no, his half point. Because he was telling me, like, you know, because like Jeremy and I are cool, but like at the end, at this end of the day, I think we both kind of view each other as like each other's best friend, as we now have I, this action. Yeah. Like for each other. I was gonna say right, like it's yeah. like a stepbrother thing. It's like, do we just do we just become best friends? Well, it's like I think that I'm <laughs> winning against him and can win a bunch of money from it, and he thinks he's winning against me and he can win a bunch of money from it for the action that he took for mm-hmm. the bigger bet. But mostly, it's like I'm fighting the good fight here, and he's fighting his good fight over there. So it's like, yeah, like because of you, you and Daniel, this has happened. Right. Right. So why do we hate you? Like we don't hate each other. Yeah. Uh, I it's mean, preseason. You know, like I don't have to anti sweat that hard yet. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the bet, have you guys discussed the mystery bounty aspect of it at all? Oh. We haven't discussed it yet, but I, bo- I think we both think that it should be in the bet. Here's, here's my take on it. I think uh, it's not close because there's strategy involved. Right. That was my take. So, it's not this whole, like when it comes to mystery bounties and they call it PKOs, it's kind of the same idea. I think it's as, similar to PKOs as well. As the bound, there's a bounty pool. Right. Is there is a legitimate strategy in like how you should construct pre-flop, how you can construct post-flop, right. how you can construct pre-bubble, how you can how you play hands when you're in the money for the bounties. Like there's a bunch of strategy that goes into this. Which if someone is better at the other person, then they are able to get luckier than them by default. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I it's it's totally part of your EV. Like I had this conversation with with Fausto a while back, and I think. Fausto had a bit of a blind spot about it because he was like, "Oh, the bounties are all random, so you know, what does it what does it matter?" But it's like there's a there's very specific strategic adjustments when there's additional EV coming from the fact that there's a bounty pool. Like you have to adapt to giving yourself the max chance of getting bounties at the right. Right, like it's a lot. It's a it's it's essentially it's a lottery, but uh, there's a strategic way to get more lottery tickets. Absolutely, hundred percent. There's there's very much a skill to bounty events, and I I don't think there's much of an argument for not including it because it's definitely part of your skill in in a mystery bounty. I equated um, the variance of the bounty pool as being similar to the amount of flips that you need to win to win an event. Mm-hmm. And basically all I was trying to imply there is that uh, you can't remove the variance from this bet. There's mm-hmm. a lot of luck involved in the bet. So the idea that uh, this element of randomness that comes into play with the bounty aspect somehow reduces the skill, I think is like a very big oversight of the actual skill that's at play here because having gone deep in a you know relatively big mystery bounty in the 10k secret bounty the yes sorry <laughs> secret bounty the the strategy was so wildly different when the bounties weren't in play on day 1 and then were suddenly going to be in play on day 2 and then weren't going to be in play on day 2 and then suddenly were again mm-hmm. as well as how much the strategy changed changed uh drastically from there being uh, seven figures in the bounty pool with like three or four tables left to suddenly all the big bounties getting plucked with 15 left. Yeah. Now, like you're strictly playing ICM in a scenario where the biggest bounty you can pull is like 2.5 buy-ins mm-hmm. and it's completely irrelevant again, or, you know, mostly irrelevant again. Yeah. Um, so I, I love I, bounty events. Yeah. I, I love them too. And uh, I think the big thing that people need to understand about this bet that I don't think the betting public or even the observing public understands is that this is not a bet that is reflective or a good test of skill. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. Right. It's like, the farthest thing from it. 
Uh, it's yeah. not the farthest thing from it, but I, I mean, it's it's just not a large enough sample where you can definitively say the winner of this bet is absolutely right. more skillful than you'd, the other. You'd have to bet over 10 years or something. And even right. then, when you're playing live poker, you know, like, yeah. variance in tournaments is ridiculous. Like, we just kind of want to have mean, some things to I mean, you guys are to. young. Why don't we just... Crossbook for life? For 10 years. Yeah, <laughs> Cross 10 years. Crossbook for life. That's <laughs> <laughs> so sick. Crossbook for life. <laughs> it's just always on. At what point does it pay out, though? Like, did, when you die, your, your kids no, get you pay your, out every year. You pay oh, out every year. year. Okay. Yeah. I like this. We just get two life insurance policies on them. <laughs> and depending on who won that year, they have to, like, you know, pump a, dump, uh, a bunch of money into the other one's life insurance <laughs> Instead policy. Of, uh, heads up for rolls, it's X book for life. Right, yeah. <laughs> I like the way that's headed. I love it. Yeah, I, I, I think Mystery Bounties absolutely should be included. I could see an argument for either not including bounty events in the bet at all or not including the traditional bounty uh, because I think that that, in essence, like they, they were talking about how you could game the system with the bounties, the regular bounties, not the mystery. And I, I think that that's a valid concern, right? Because they're just chips. They could just be passed off. You could buy, you could buy other people's bounties. Uh, oh, I see what you mean. To, to pad your stats like, and stuff because, like that. Because there's no Hendon mob tracking it. Correct. Right. Yeah. Uh, that I, I, that, I that kind of makes sense to, to like exclude. Maybe. Yeah, I think... I and those, well, event, those events are so stupid so, anyway. Yeah, so good example, I guess, when it comes to something like Mystery, like the Mystery Millions. I'm, I know that we're both going to play that tournament. Yeah, like, but that's not what I'm talking about. I know, I know. I just mean the sense of right. moving mystery bounties from the bet as a whole. I, I was not saying that. Okay. No, I'm only saying traditional bounties. I'm yeah. saying I think that you guys should either take... WSOP has like one of them a year, right? Yeah, there's not many of them. There's, there's two like super turbos. There's like a there's, 10K, right? Like, and then a there's 10, a small 10K, one. Yeah, they're basically just turbos, yeah. And then there's the one that kicks off where you can win a, a, a main event seat, but that shouldn't matter. Probably not. Right. Um, so yeah, like those traditional bounties, either they just shouldn't be included in the schedule at all, in my opinion, or the, the bounties themselves shouldn't count. Honestly, from what I can tell on the schedule, I doubt either of you guys will end up playing them anyway, because I think there's like 3k, 6 max and stuff yeah. on the same days. So Isn't there a small one though? I thought that they did like a 1k or, or they have 1500. Two, they, have, they have two 1k super turbo bounties and one... Actually, I think it's just a regular super turbo on the very last day. Okay, okay. Yeah, the whole series. But you're just saying there's but way better. I, I'm saying yeah, I, like there's better events, and if you if you add in like win stuff, Venetian stuff, like, yeah, I'd be shocked if both those guys ended up playing the, the same event. That on makes that sense. Day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. It's like why play the super turbo bounty when you can just go play an 1100 at the win? Right. Either it's way, three million guarantee. Yeah. Either way, that's a small detail that I think is worth ironing out. Sure. Um, yeah, definitely. Just because of, uh, especially there will be bounties at other venues as well. And they're even more difficult to track or more easy to game, mm -hmm. I guess, because I think that they just actually give you cash value chips. Mm -hmm. uh, I could be wrong, but the last time I played they Venetian do. Bounty, they just gave you like hundred dollar chips. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah they yeah. do. And so, WSP does the same thing. Right. With regard to the mystery bounties, do you think that the win will run like a, a massive mystery bounty this yes. summer? Like, mm -hmm. do you think they'll Absolutely. run like a million dollar bounty like the WSOP? Uh, if not a million, I think that they'll slap a big guarantee on the event itself. Yeah, because I, I think they, they might do, because they've previously until now they've the, done... How big was the one last year? Do you remember? Uh, I think they had one where the top bounty was 250 I wouldn't be surprised because they've only run mystery bounties at this point at the 600 and the 1600 price points. I wouldn't be surprised if they did a 3500 mystery bounty where... The top bounty is a million, and the prize pool, the overall prize pool might be like five million or six million or something. I like would that. like to see them get away from guaranteeing. 
the bounty. I understand why yeah. venues have to do it, but I would like to see them get away from it because I think that it creates too much of a disparity in the payouts. Yeah. Which sure. again, we'll get into payout uh, discussion soon. Good but segue. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I want to stick on this for one more second though. Um, do you guys know the history of how mystery bounties came into play? This is actually kind of fascinating. No, the but lore. I I assume, I guess I just assumed it was Matt Savage who invented them, but I probably am wrong. No, yeah. Uh, so uh, to my knowledge, the win was the first venue to execute it. Yeah, I, um, I was pretty sure of that. Yeah. I, I'm almost positive I that's true. I literally didn't know what a mystery bounty was until fucking Conrad ripped off a $25,000 right. <laughs> one at, uh, at Orleans. At Orleans. At Orleans. Mm -hmm. I'm like, how did he win... 25 like what is this and they're like it's a mystery body i'm like what the hell's a mystery body <laughs> so i'm pretty certain that the win ran the first ever mystery bounty and i think it really? was i think it was like right as COVID ended if i'm not mistaken mm -hmm. but here's here's the thing that nobody will ever know the wsop had this in the works for the COVID summer that never came to be oh so Secret lore. i remembered talking with them and they were explaining the concept to me and i didn't get it I, I couldn't I couldn't wrap my head around it. I thought what they were doing was something similar to like shooting star where every table would have like a bounty player mm -hmm. and if you knock them out you just got a random envelope. Mm -hmm. So my monkey brain was thinking like okay so there's going to be hundreds of these bounties scattered amongst the field if you're lucky enough to knock somebody out uh you'll get an envelope and attach that so I kept questioning him I go so do you guys know who the like mystery person will be that's worth a million dollars? And they're like, no, like that's not the way it works. I'm like, I don't understand. I just don't get it. But they you had the mystery was the per like so you're like saying you knock somebody out, but you don't know that they're the bounty person? No, no, no. I thought like once you were in the money, everybody would have a bounty chip. Uh, okay. Right? And mm -hmm. like you knock them out, and then somebody like when you registered the event, I thought that like somebody would be like registered as being oh, the million okay. dollar bounty. Yeah. That, so like that one person is just like everyone know, everyone knows they're the million dollar bounty. They have no fold equity the entire Tournament. Wait, does the person know? No, that's what I mean. I thought oh, it was all, okay. I thought it was all a mystery. I thought that's where the mystery came in. I, I thought the idea. I thought you were saying that you thought the idea was like one person is like the million dollars, so everyone's like, let's get this guy. I, I think that would be really cool too. <laughs> that would be fun. It would um, be crazy, but it'd be fun. Yeah, but uh, but in any event, like I, it's very it's very ironic that uh, they were actually the innovators, to my understanding of of this event, but. It was long after the win that they were actually able to run their and they'll, own. Yeah, they'll never get the credit for inventing it. No, and they don't need to because they're still going to continue to run the biggest of sure. them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have we talked about WSOP implementing milestone satellites? No. Good. Good. Uh, good job. Good thing to bring up. <laughs> uh, I'm really happy with it. So they got rid of the single table satellites, which I think everybody's a little bit bothered by, but they got rid of that last year. Yeah. yeah. Correct. But oh, they're, they're, they're not bringing them back. I didn't see this. Did they, they actually said we're doing all milestones now. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh Everything changed them out. Well, they call it something else. Let's all celebrate the death of the traditional satellite. Mm -hmm. it, they are the worst form of poker. It really mm -hmm. is great. And I actually think it's probably better for everybody. that The single tables are now gone as well, because most of that money didn't actually make its way into the events. Right. Mm -hmm. People, people would, just, would get lammers and sell them. Yeah. Most people I, would come out here dude, and I used to them. grind them. I used to grind those back in the day. <laughs> they were never so soft. They were, but but so they got they got to the point they got tougher right? like within the last five years or so they were just like literally professional sit and go players no, yeah mm -hmm. i mean i mean i'm talking about like you know 
like mid 2000, 2006 through 2010. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were yeah. like just gold mines. Yeah, and you could make and a lot on always, the side bets. Yeah, too. there was always last longer. So it would just, it would just be essentially a bigger. Not everybody would participate in, the last, participate in the last longer, but you'd probably have like five or six people out of the nine that would. It was, it was a really would. good way to reduce the rake mm -hmm. burden. Yeah, exactly. Right? If you're playing exactly. a five, five plus 25 mm -hmm. and you can get five or six people to uh, to buy into the last longer, now right. all of a sudden you're playing like seven and a half plus 25. You double yeah. the prize pool without uh, increasing the rake. Correct. Yeah. So amazing. for those that aren't familiar with milestones, can you guys uh, break that down? Yeah, so I think that they call them uh, target stacks or something. I I can't remember. It, it's something different. It's not milestone, but anyway, the 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 purpose is that effectively um, depends on what the rake is and what the buying structure is. But usually, it's like one in eleven or one in yeah. twelve um, mm -hmm. will get you a seat. One in twelve, your stack. Correct. So, so say you start with twenty thousand chips. Then you have a milestone, whatever it is. It could be, it's usually 10x, I think, or maybe mm -hmm. 11x. So, like, you get to 200,000, you just have your seat. So, as soon as you reach that milestone, you get it, which is really nice. It's like, it just starts removing people from the, from the, um, from the tournament. And then eventually, once they get down to like a certain amount of people left, um, that's that, then it turns into a traditional satellite again. Yeah, well, the, the interesting thing is there's two, there's actually two ways of the venues doing this. I spoke to the PokerStars people in the Bahamas about this because they weren't aware that there was a different way of doing it. But basically, Stars, they did it so that you could only get the seat by making it to the target stack. The win does it where when you get, when someone gets to the, this target stack, their chips come out of play Right. And then you can still win a seat by surviving until the last X number of players. Mm -hmm. But Stars, in order to cater to the chips not going out of play, Stars did this thing where when someone gets over the milestone, that the milestone amount comes out of play and then the remainder gets split up at their table. And it was really clunky and difficult to execute because it's like, okay, the milestone's 240K. This person won a pot that ended up with them having 300K. So we now have to take 60K and distribute it between the seven other players at their table. And it doesn't divide evenly. And it's just, it's really clunky to do that. So I much prefer the win way of doing it. Right. And I hope that WSOP is doing it the win way where mm -hmm. you can still just survive and win a seat. Right. And chips come out of play instead of the PokerStars way. Mm -hmm. But we'll see, I guess. I haven't read the format yet. Right. Yeah, I'm on KevMath's Twitter now. I'm trying to see if I can find... Uh, where, where the actual uh, structure comes from with these, as well as like what their version of the the name is. Not that it's super important, but it's nice to get it right. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a little bit of strategy behind this, right, Hunt? As far as like, there's a like, lot. Let's say you, let's there's say the lot. target is two hundred. I don't know, two hundred twenty thousand, mm -hmm. and you're at one hundred and eighty. Yeah. How does that affect like who you're playing pots against? Well, the um the interesting part of it is that because you every chip that you win above the milestone amount is useless, right? So if you have 180K and the milestone is 220, if you're, um, it, whenever you're going to play a pot, you have to take into account that the maximum number of chips you can win is 40K. So it, calling an all in where you are risking, let's say a hundred of your 180K is absurd because you only need 40. Yeah, you, well, you're, you're, you could lose 100K, but you can only win 40K, right? So there's a, a, a massively decreased upside. 
So you end up in this position where the further you are away from the target stack, the more you're playing just like a chip EV strategy. But as you get closer, you play more and more ICM to the point where if you're unlucky enough to win a pot where it, um, you, you get to like the milestones 220 and you have 210, now you're in this really dumb spot where you can lose a lot, but you can only win 10,000. So you, you sort of have to like wait until the absolute best possible spot where you can possibly win 10,000 without risking very much. Mm -hmm, so maybe yeah. you just take a spot where you just min raise open on the button or something. Try still just, a blinds twice or yeah, something like right. that. Like, yeah, right. And you see, but you see people doing stupid stuff. Like you see people like jamming all in when they get close to the milestone to it try crazy. To, to try to win the pot because they're like, oh, if I just take the blinds down, I get the miles, I get the target stack. Right. But then so they, they want to put max pressure. Yeah. But, but then they get called and they lose like half their stack and they're oh, like, oh, no, I'm miles away. Yeah. And it, it's just a like massive punt to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's a really interesting format for that reason. I think it's really good. Yeah, so they're called Landmark Satellites uh, Landmark. this year. Okay. And it looks like they've already started running them at Cherokee. So uh, we they haven't put any structure sheets out yet for the, the summer, but it looks like I can take a look at this structure sheet for Cherokee. Um, and let me squint a little bit. I guess the, the main thing would be whether or not they take chips out of play. That's the thing to look out for. Yeah, let me see if I can find anything along those lines. You ever played any of these satellites, Landon? Uh, very few. Okay. <clears throat> very, very few. Some at the win, though. <clears throat> some of the win milestone ones, but... They have, some, they have some good ones at the win. I almost won a seat to the 10K last year in one of these, but I happened to come up against one of the worst poker players I've ever seen. Literally, like, this guy <laughs> who just had so little idea of what he was doing. I just could not believe it. Uh, and I just lost a flip to him where if I win it, I win the milestone. So right. he, he just, he got a 10 K seat. So you guys can thank me for getting that guy in the prize pool. Nice. You're welcome. Uh, yeah. So it looks like at least at uh, Cherokee, what they're doing is it's 10 X stack. And then, um, they play down to the number of people or equivalent to the way to win. Okay. Yeah. Great. Cause that's, that I think is the best way to do it. Mm -hmm. I don't like the stars way of doing it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the stars way is very common. Seems like no, very... I mean, honestly, when I when I spoke to the the floor at the Bahamas, he like was unaware that the way it was done elsewhere was different to how they were doing it. So I explained the win way of doing it to him, and he was like, "Oh, that's really good." And it sounded like they probably would change it. So I don't know if they have because I haven't played a Stars event since then. But hopefully, they did change it because redistributing chips is just weird. It is. Yeah. It is kind of funny because you get you could get yourself in a situation where, say, you're at say you're down to like uh you know nine people and mm -hmm. and like eight get a seat and you're very close to the milestone because mm -hmm. if, if you you know so but like do, how much do you want to go for the milestone as opposed to just waiting like if right you know like where it depends yeah. on what your stack is what everybody else's it's, stack is, is there's right. actually interesting concerns and yeah. but the the funny thing in, in the stars structure is what happened in one of them that i played in the bahamas was there's a guy very close to the milestone mm -hmm. another guy wins a huge pot, goes above the milestone, and those chips get redistributed. And the redistribution of chips takes another guy over the milestone. <laughs> so oh, wow, that's that's because, because somebody else won a really big pot, right. uh, it, it that's just, also it another just, reason not to have it, because that's kind of dumb. It, it's just, yeah, it's weird, yeah. right? Like it, this guy just got handed like an extra 7K chips or something. He was yeah. like, oh, I have the milestone now. <laughs> I, was, I didn't even have to do anything. It was yeah. crazy, really mm -hmm. crazy really spot. Well. All right, uh, let's talk.
talk a little bit about well actually before we get into this um we kind of brought it up a little bit when you said you know there's other venues that you could potentially play the venetian made a big announcement today that they are going to have a brand new dedicated space this summer for uh the traffic i guess the wsop brings in so first of all lamana you mentioned this previously and kevmath doubled down on it the wsop is adding 100 extra tables right however they're However. dedicated strictly for dailies and milestone satellites. Wow, Becker's fucking thrilled. <clears throat> but that's okay because now, <laughs> now, now it frees up the other tables for. for yeah, right. I'm just saying that's not yeah. that's not going to be an additional uh, 900 players that they'll be able to seat for things like Colossus. And maybe, maybe it will. Maybe they'll it, it, cancel things those yeah, days. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, they'll cancel those things, and and th they are always running certain things. So it's right. just like now those you know. More tables is better. Yeah, more tables is better, assuming we can get the dealers. More rake is better, uh, more tables which, is better. Which, if you're considering more, more being a dealer, definitely better. Yeah, if you're considering being a dealer, head over to academy.software.io. Check out Jill's dealing school. Dealing school. Uh, so the Venetian added a dedicated space now. Uh, I guess it's on their second floor. And it looks like they're doing it big. So I don't know if you guys remember, but maybe five or six years ago, they had dedicated space in the convention center. Yes. I think the Palazzo Convention yeah, Center. I, I like that a lot. I... It's we oh, okay, so like now it's hard to get to though, wasn't it? It was yeah, very difficult to get the, to. Yeah, Parking yeah. was annoying. Right. Uh but looking back on it now, I think it was amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In real time, it felt very off putting to play there. Mm -hmm. Like when uh, uh, granted at the time, like I was I was uh mostly playing high stakes cash, so it didn't really matter to me. But like if given the choice between playing at the Rio in a five K versus going to this like dark, cold convention center with concrete floors and difficult to get to i just kind of didn't want to do it but practically speaking like that was probably one of the smoothest summers that the venetian ever ran no Super. wait times no <laughs> alternates yeah absolutely um pretty incredible so it looks like they're doing something similar now where they're dedicating 50 tables which i'm kind of surprised it's only that many um i feel like they have the capacity to potentially run some pretty big events especially if they slap like you know, a five million guarantee on a mystery bounty. Like Fifty we, tables seems like nothing. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a lot, right? No. I don't know how many they currently have, but it's probably about the same amount. Right. Well, just in the poker room. Oh, yeah. Now, oh, maybe, so are they also running? Are they running them in both? I don't know. Right. So uh, previously, they would they would like previous summers they would run the, both in the Venetian poker room and at the Palazzo. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you recall or not. I but, do. Like, yeah, I've I've I played at Palazzo one time. I think. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I assume they, that in the past they had been getting upwards of hundred table at least, if I, not more. They certainly. I know that they expand the poker room to where they have tables like just outside the it. Sports like book, next yeah. to, oh, mm -hmm. My hands in the in the shot. <laughs> but I, they have like tables in the sports book and tables in every area like around it with the where they have the stadium blackjack and stuff like that. So like they. They definitely expand it during the summers, but this will hopefully be a lot less clunky than when they do it there. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to know if, like, these 50 tables are just dedicated to, like, you know, maybe day two stuff uh, or, or whatever. I'm not sure. And if they have other tables elsewhere. Um, but the other big addition that I saw that caught my eye was they're also going to have a dedicated streaming space, mm -hmm. which Venetians never ran a stream before. So this will be pretty interesting. It means that they've been working on this for quite some time. I would expect there to be some operator behind this. Uh, and maybe not, but I know that like GG's been looking to get into the streaming space. I know that Stars is, uh, and granted this is probably happening with the resorts, but I'm sure Stars is also 
interested in getting into the streaming space when it comes to these live venues. So it'll be interesting to see if there's someone attached to mm -hmm. this Venetian live stream or whatever. Uh, it obviously won't be GG because they have uh, an affiliation of some sort to, to WSOP as well as to Bally's Live, I believe. But um, in any event, that struck me as very interesting because I don't think wind streams during the summer. If I'm, I've never uh, seen Windows. I'm pretty no. sure their only stream is when WPT does yeah. it and mm -hmm. they bring in right. uh, share right. hands. So uh, this does kind of get them a little bit of a leg up as an alternative space. Um, but again, it's interesting to me that the capacity is still so so low. Like, what do you estimate the wins tables are during the summer? It has to be closer to oh, 100, it's, right? It's, I think it's way do over. double Venetians, if not more. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and during the during the winter. The, the WPT Winter Festival, they have that whole convention area with hundreds of I mean, tables. that yeah. is as close to the WSOP part two that, right. that we see in America. I mean, can, right. can you imagine if they did that this summer? I would love that. So, so you realize, uh, well, it would be, I, I, I don't know if they would get the traffic that would, uh, like, I don't, I don't think that they can, I don't think two venues can support the same thing. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. Right, yeah. like, I, I think that everybody does really well uh, with the overflow, mm -hmm. um, but running two festivals, like if, if the WPT ran simultaneous to WSOP, I think that both suffer a little bit. Yeah. I guess maybe a lot of it. All I'm, all I'm really doing is like the, the, the convention center is such so much more comfortable than, Correct. than yeah. being crammed into the casino. Like mm -hmm. I, it makes such a difference when you're playing and you don't have like slot machine noises in the background. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah it I really agree. does. But this wind series in December has really taken the place of what, um, commerce, uh, what what the hell was it called? Uh, what did it used to be called? The uh, California Poker. No, no, no. Oh. The one the one that happens like end of January through LAPC. Oh, LAPC. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> How uh, quickly we forget. <laughs> it's. I mean, it still exists. It's just yeah. been a long time since it's been WPT. Uh, anything important, right? But that series used to be the second biggest mm -hmm. thing that happened in America, and I think WPT, you know, during December blows that out of the water now. Fewer events. LAPC was like you know, a hundred events, it would run mm -hmm. for six weeks or so. Right. But, um, in any event, it, this is, this is all very great for people who play MTTs, guys like young Jeremy Becker and Landon Tice mm -hmm. who are out there on the grind. How are you going to get from venue to venue, man? You know, Uber. like, Lift. we got to get you a, you're gonna say car. No, you got a car. I thought you were gonna say scooter. Get him one of those little birds, you like know? A Vespa. Yeah. 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 Start Vespaing around. Well, I gotta protect his health. I don't know if I trust him on that scooter. That's true. You know? We gotta we gotta keep our little uh our little race pony healthy. Yeah, the, the bet's gonna be in some too. trouble if one of you gets hit by a car off the twelve well, events. Yeah, I can't well, have no, that. <laughs> well I mean it's mutual played events, so yeah, I, I just mean the bet's gonna be <laughs> off. Oh, the bet's gonna like, be off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know. Let's try to fade that one. Yeah, let's fade wear that one. Wear a helmet. Um, <coughs> Life's hard, wear a helmet. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think that what this indicates to me anyway is the, the pressure that gets applied, like the downward pressure off of WSOP for other venues to really capitalize on all the traffic, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, for a long time, I think Venetian and Wynn were just kind of expected to be the next two stops and uh case in point they kind of rested on their laurels i think venetian lost a lot of fucking traffic over the last yeah. few years to the win mm -hmm. to aria to mgm to golden nugget. golden nugget to all of these other places that were just like 
they're not the only people in town who can run a 400. And I think that there was a noticeable change. Like I, in, in the summer, last couple of summers, I've put in much less volume at Venetian because it started to get to a point where even like the 1Ks at Venetian felt so much more reg heavy than the other ones. And I think it was because Venetian was struggling to attract wrecks at that time of year in the same way that the win and some of those other venues were, like you say. Yeah. I think they they ended up in a position where there was less value in those 1Ks because it was just regs firing eight bullets over three days instead of actually attracting a lot of wrecks. When I moved here for probably the first five to seven years, the Venetian was the, the spot that I put the absolute most volume in and it mm -hmm. was not even close. It was right. probably like three to one compared to any other venue. Right. And I played Bellagio a fair amount. Um, it's interesting to see the fall off because I think that they still are pretty tarnished by the, the Sheldon Adelstein name, which has no affiliation. They, they've totally sold. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm, I don't know who bought them out, but it's been a couple of years now that they've been under new ownership. And uh, not much has really happened to rebrand their poker room or to bring them back into favor, I don't think. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think maybe some things have continued to like keep that negative slide going where uh, in my experience anyway, it's always a hassle uh, playing there. Like getting, whenever you cash an event, they're like very strict about the way they pay you out. Um, I, I don't recall, but I remember when Landon won his and we had to divvy up the prize pool. It was a pain in the ass. Long time ago. Like, yeah, it was a long time ago. But like they would only- Swapping like, chips and all that kind of stuff. Remember, it's like, yeah, right. It's the only place in the city where if somebody says like, I have a 5K chip for Venetian. Yeah. Everybody at the table's like, can't do anything with it, man. Mm -hmm. Just can't accept that. Right. There, there's just no way I'll be able to do anything with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's shitty it's because it's like- It's not built for like anything, sorry. No, go ahead. It's not built for any anything like over 510, essentially. Right. Like any kind of like higher stakes, it just makes it a nightmare. Same, same. And that's why high stakes kind of like never took off or or did a little bit, but then died there. It's, because, it, right? it's crazy too, because their room was beautiful when we yeah. first moved out here. They had the salon area mm -hmm. and like, they just keep continually making it smaller and smaller. Uh, and I know that they had a big rake hike at the small stakes and it sucks because I think the Venetian could potentially be one of those rooms that takes off. But I also think like Venetian is in direct competition with like resorts world. Mm -hmm. I see those rooms as being very, very comparable. And now that Resorts has run a successful NAPT, they have this Stars affiliation in some capacity, I wouldn't be shocked to see them come out with a pretty heavy summer schedule mm -hmm. that starts to see some higher buying some stuff. Resorts World spiciness. Maybe. Resorts World is sick. Why wouldn't yeah. Stars want to run an NPT during the summer? NAPT, yeah. NAPT during the summer. They right? might. They really might. Seems pretty likely. They might run like yeah. a 5K. Yeah, like they don't, they don't, care about the WSO. If anything, they're going to want to compete. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, I, I think that... Or just find times to put it after. Like, I, I mean, it's, it's super... I, we, for, we, we long forget, but the M Resort... I do not know. ...used to run <laughs> one of the biggest guaranteed 2500s every single summer. And they would just find a way to fit it right into the schedule when no one else was running anything big buy and no limit for those three days. And they would slap a massive guarantee on it. I think it was like three or four million, something along those lines. And we would all head south, young man. <laughs> we would go right down to the fucking border mm -hmm. of Mesquite. Right past the jewel. Right past the jewel. <laughs> Halfway to LA. And we'd show up at this random place uh. that no poker player had ever been to before. 
and uh, we'd all play twenty five hundred. Maybe this year they'll have a tournament at what, what's that place on the border? Whiskey Pete's or something. Gotta go off the prim. Prim, yeah. prim. Prim's got a five million. That place, that place with like the roller coaster or whatever. <laughs> That's, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. Go to, to Perum. Whiskey Pete's, Buffalo Bills. <laughs> yeah, I think that this summer might be the biggest as far as available volume goes. Variety uh, is the spice of life. <clears throat> and I don't. I, I, I think it's gonna be like magnitudes larger than last year. Um, mainly because of so many new properties that have potential to come into play, like specifically Resorts World. I think that they put themselves into that top four players. Mm-hmm. I think Aria is putting a bigger focus on MTTs now than ever. Conrad's going to play 1,500 events this summer. I, <laughs> 1,500, not, not 1,500 buy-in events. He's right. going to fire 1,500 15, entries. Right, 1,500 <laughs> entries. It's never... If, 30 if, buy-ins per day. For, if, if anybody could do it. Days, if yeah. you put your ego aside, it's never been a better time to be an MTT player in certain buy-in ranges. Like, if you want to play an ABI of 1K... You can find a 1K or below every single day every of the day. week yeah. and maybe multiple. Mm-hmm. I think in theory, that's part of our mutual during the summer. What? It's like going to be roughly around that ABI a little bit higher. Maybe like 3K, 4K, right? Because sometimes we're both going to be in the 5K 6 maxes or the 5K freeze out. Yeah, so you'll probably play an ABI around 2K. Mm-hmm. Around two, where most yeah. of the volume is going to be like potentially just a daily 1K. Like the wind ran 1K dailies. Yeah, that they, were really, they did really that. good. They did that last year. If they, that's where the, you put the bulk of your volume, you're doing it wrong. It's right, not about but it was where like, I'm putting my volume. No, we told a, you, stay away from the dailies. But it no. was his strength. No. <laughs> Gotta stay away from the dailies. Oh, we, we need to have a talk. During the summer, they run, what Lana's referring to is they run like a 1K turbo every night, basically. Yeah, I know. So it's not the it's not the random two hundred dollar okay. no i, I understand I know, I know. yeah i understand it's a daily though. i don't want to talk strategy on air but we need to have a conversation about this because i do not think that that is the right approach by any stretch of the imagination well maybe if you bust something else is what i'm assuming yeah you're but talking about correct like yeah like not you, it's not where i'm actively trying to go right you play something else you bust you don't have anything else to play so you go play the turbo at the win correct there you go yeah there, there'll be times and it only counts if he also plays it. Right. And even and on where I'm going where I'm going with this in some regards is even if he's not in that tournament and there's nothing for me to do, I'm still going to go playing at volume in. Yeah. I mean maybe, man. When an event ends at four AM and you know you got a fifteen hundred on the schedule the next day, sometimes you have to be considerate of that kind of stuff. Sure. You can't just turn into this blinded robot where it's like get in as many events as humanly possible. You have to you have to have a plan in place. And honestly, like if I'm in your shoes, I'm not really looking at anything at the 1K and below buy-in level outside of the mystery bounty. Like there's the ability to play an ABI of like 2K, 2,500, pretty much every day where you're getting in somewhere in the neighborhood of like 45 to 60 events. My Potentially, like we don't really necessarily know if that's true yet, but it's more so well, based off history there's a difference between strategy for the bet and then things i can play when it, i have no other time when i have no time to, to do anything else and if i don't feel like playing i'm just not going to but if i feel like playing and there's the only thing that left is a 1k i'm just gonna go play okay man i'm sorry <laughs> fuck <laughs> i don't know why I, you're yelling at me you, you make it seem like i have this like weird strategy when it comes to choosing things to cross book versus things to just play oh i mean you know it's like uh, if you had a hundred million dollars, saying that there's nothing else to play that day, so I'm going to go play the Win Daily. Like, have a little value for your time. <laughs> some some of us nice, like Bert. some nice. of us like playing poker tournaments, you know. Yeah, and that's that's totally like reasonable. It. But it's just like you know, sometimes you got to put a little bit of value to your time and understand that uh, 
if you have a down period, that is also valuable, especially over a seven week stretch where you're going to be spread really fucking thin. He's young. He's got too many. Have years a day left. off today. You know. That's true. That's true. Where's the daily? <laughs> God, it speed. would actually be really funny if you just rocked up at the daily. There's no. Where's it? We got. I asked Becker. Where would, he, where, where would he go? Dailies everywhere, every day. Yeah, every day. Where would he go? What's the difference? I gotta. This is my what prep is work. My prep work is to show up and play live poker. Mm, okay. Um, moving off of that, you want to talk about payout structures? Yes, I want to talk about payout structures. So there was an interesting conversation that was uh, spurned by Ella Ella, um, who I think I got to play with briefly in the 10K main event before I tried to rocket all my chips off. Uh, to go play the cash game at the WPT. Um, so this video is probably longer than worth playing. Two minutes is, is a bit much, but just to summarize what it is, basically uh, what her and a few of her uh, friends, I guess, uh, Yuval and um, the person that I've been speaking to the most is, I can't pronounce his name, but Real Rudema. Um, what, they're, what they're implying is that uh everybody does better if fewer people are paid and they're paid a little bit more money so essentially like if the average dollar amount per cash goes up then people who are breaking it even slash small winners will be a lot more healthy and able to sustain longer while um the people who are basically losing and contributing to the prize pool, they're implying that those people have outside funds anyway and aren't going to go anywhere. So uh, essentially the argument, as I understand it, is that uh, the focus from venues should be kind of honed in on more specifically the grinders and the people who are just like right around the break-even line, maybe slightly losing, slightly winning, uh, whatever the case may be, and giving them greater opportunity to self-sustain uh, by increasing their average dollar amount when in the money. Uh, and I think that that's actually like an okay, uh, an okay idea to, you know, effectively make it such that if you're the type of person that is, uh, you know, constantly on the grind, whatever. I mean, we know how expensive it is to travel to all these venues uh, to put up a year's worth of buy-ins, hundreds of thousands of dollars, even if you're an ABI of like 1K or something along those lines. Um, it, it, does, it does force you to have an ROI that's sustainable. Um, now, where I disagreed with this uh, in essence is that the fewer people who cash the lower the cash percentage frequency is so uh, a little bit of their math that was presented i think was uh maybe a little bit i don't want to say wrong but it was uh not fleshed out far enough so they kind of pre presented a model where if you're cashing uh with a certain percentage player a through player h uh at 15 percent payout structure then you're winning or losing X amount of dollars. And if you reduce it to 12.5% cash rate and look at that chart, everybody does better, right? So basically, like, if you're, above, if you're above zero, you'll always do better. And that's obvious because more money is being concentrated now to the bottom um, than it would be if you were paying more people. You can test this at the extremes. If you pay 99% of the field, then obviously everybody's return on investment is incredibly low 
because there's only one buy-in to distribute amongst 99% of the field, right? And if you pay winner takes all, then obviously, um, you know, the only person who benefits is the person who's able to cash. So now your cash frequency is equivalent to your ROI. It's a one-to-one. But whenever you get in the middle of it, it doesn't become quite as obvious, right? Because what's not clear here when you're looking at these scenarios is that if you are player A who cashes, or sorry, let's say player B who cashes 50% of the time when 15% of the field is paid out, you can't be player B also on the second scenario where um, they're paying 12.5%, right? right. Your, your, your cash frequency just has to drop. It's just yeah. not, it's not possible to be in that same correct position yeah correct so by proxy of that you're naturally going to do worse uh in a in a in a one-to-one comparison or apples to apples comparison um and i think that like where this whole conversation misses the mark and you guys can can weigh in is that uh looking at this through the lens of the min cash or looking at it through the lens of the average dollar amount that you cash for is relatively, um, ir- it's mostly irrelevant. Uh, what actually matters is what impacts ROIs the most. And that's often just going to be sheer and utter skill. Now, of course, if we take these to the extremes where we only play winner take all or we pay half the field, then your cash frequency is going to matter a lot. But the impact that it has on your overall ROI, whenever we're talking about paying 10% of the field versus 12.5% versus 15%, it's pretty negligible compared to your actual overall gross understanding of uh, MTT strategy. <coughs> Sorry. Um, what you guys, you know, you, you grind MTTs a hell of a lot more than I do. What consideration do you give to percentage of the field paid? And how much does it matter to you if they were to pay 20% versus 15 versus 10? To me, for me personally, in terms of whether I decide to play an event or not, it doesn't matter at all. Like, I, and outside of something absurd, like a winner-take-all event, which, you know, you have to think twice about to some degree, but it might be good value, I don't know. Um, it, it wouldn't affect how, how much I decide, or whether I decide to play an event, but... I definitely think from a perspective of how it affects the overall uh, ecosystem to make a call, a call back <laughs> to, sure. to the, the previous debate. Um, I think it's, it's definitely a consideration. And I think the, what it comes down to is how fast are the fish going to lose their money, right? Because if, you were, if every event was winner-take-all, it would heavily favor whoever the best players are in that event. You would see that the only the best player in that event event or the player that had the highest ROI would be the player who wins at the highest frequency it would be a very very simple equation and the more that the more that the payouts are distributed amongst the field the slower the weakest players are going to lose their money because they're going to have variance is going to dictate that they have a slightly increased chance of of cashing right even the worst player in an event if 15% of the field is paid, that player is not going to have a negative 100% ROI. They're going to have negative 50, negative 60, maybe. I don't know. We don't know what the lower limit is. But the bottom line is you... Every every piece of... Every bit of logic that we've we've used about the poker uh, economy for a long time has all been basically centered around we don't want the fish to lose their money so quickly that they don't come back, right? 
You don't want uh, a fish to show up, get stacked, leave, and decide, oh, I'm never playing again because I, I didn't enjoy this. So for me, like, I don't even care if they decided that they wanted to pay even more places, if they wanted to pay 20, 25%, whatever. Like, I think that more people getting paid is more likely to keep recreational players around and keep them playing. Mm -hmm. And I think there are things <clears throat> that you can do with the top end of the payouts, like your tweet said, that um, you know, maybe <clears throat> reward the final few tables a little bit more and things like that. But I, I don't see any obvious reason as to why fewer people getting paid would be better for the overall ecosystem, personally. Uh, yeah, so the argument that they were basically making was that um, I don't think they were disagreeing with anything that you just said. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that we can all come to an agreement that um, it's better to distribute some of the money to uh, the players that are losing. And the easiest way to do that is just pay more people, right? Mm -hmm. um, but truthfully, and I think this is a pretty valid point, uh, that's not really about keeping them from going broke. Because the fact is, recreationals who play this game almost certainly have replenishable uh, income to do so. Yeah, and I didn't mean it from that perspective. I meant I meant from an enjoyment perspective. That right, they, right, right. They will not, if they play 10 MTTs and they don't cash, they're much less likely to play an 11th than if they cash twice or three times. I agree with you. Right? So that was that was going to be my follow-up. Yeah. The, the real optics here is that venues want to give people a pleasurable experience. Exactly. Mm -hmm. They yeah. want them to feel like they got their money's worth. They want them to feel like they had a legitimate chance at seeing some sort of return, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So I think that that's one important aspect aspect as to why paying more places is better um and their counter to that is like okay fine but if we have replenishable income at the bottom in other words let's say and i think this is a fair statement to make now maybe not forever in perpetuity but i think it's fair to make now with the rise of popularity and mtts if we have replenishable fish so to speak and they're just always going to be there propping up prize pools doesn't it then become more important to ensure that the people who are barely getting by are able to sustain themselves? And their basic argument is that <clears throat> by paying fewer places, but giving them more money whenever they do finally make, make the money, uh, essentially what will happen is you start to prop up that middle. And I think that that's a very fair argument uh to to kind of come from that lens or that vantage point uh when, when it comes to the health of the overall ecosystem yeah i think that makes sense and i would just accomplish that by taking money away from the top agreed so that that i think is really the issue that that needs to be addressed in some capacity because i do think there are a lot of events that are probably too top heavy and i think that there's a little bit of there's a little bit too much of a focus on people caring about like how much is for the win more so than people caring about just being able to get a, a solid payday for getting like 14th, you know, like you don't, you don't want somebody to play a three day event, get 14th. And if they're a recreational player, they're like, I played three days and I didn't even make that much money. Like right. you want them to feel like if they go deep in a big field, they're getting rewarded for it. Right. Mm. So you don't want the final two, three tables to be paying way less than like, fourth place or something you know so that's what i would do i would just shift money away from the top few spots you, yeah good you think that um uh like a paying out more spots ma makes the uh overall field softer like like say like i know because like you were talking about like you know how a lot of times the recreational players they're they're not they don't pay a lot of attention not maybe considered of of the rake 
mm-hmm. right? But I bet they are considerate of how how many spots get paid. For sure. Way more than they are yeah. the regs. So yeah, if you're looking sure. at two 1Ks, right? And and this place, you know, may, maybe they're, they're similar guarantees or something. This place pays 15% of the field compared to this place that pays 11. They might choose to play the 15 yeah, they, because right? they got a higher chance of they got a higher chance of yeah. getting their money back, right? Like, and everybody wants that experience of cashing, right? Mm-hmm. So, like now, like th- now, the the field that you, that pays fifteen percent is softer, which also is going to increase the bottom line of the of the better players. Yeah, I I didn't want to ask the question and then immediately give my answer. I'm I'm glad you guys chimed in, but I agree with everything that both of you are saying. I think that it's much more attractive to the overall populace that's playing um, outside of maybe the biggest winners, right? Uh, And secondarily, I think that effectively by paying more places, it is a winner's tax, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a redistribution model that is now taxing the absolute best and kind of capping their ROI Mm -hmm. in a certain regard while redistributing that money to the players who have negative ROI, right? It's reducing their negative ROI ever so slightly. Now, uh, the biggest thing that I want to illuminate here is I I think that the problem that Ella and uh, the others are kind of illuminating here is that it's difficult to sustain as a break-even player. And their big focus was they wanted to make the the jump from losing player to break-even, break-even to small winner as small as possible. And I think that they thought they were accomplishing that by reducing the amount of places that pay. But in my opinion... They they have their eye on the right problem, but the solution is uh, like the solution they're presenting actually doesn't address the root cause in any capacity. Yeah. Truth of the matter is by concentrating more money to when you do cash, but reducing the frequency at which you cash, it all comes out in the wash, right? If you pay 10% of the field and you make more money when you cash, but you cash at 33% less frequency than you would if they paid 15% of the field, then it's even. Mm-hmm. It's just, right. it's all even anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the way that structures can account for this and kind of find a way to uh, uh, appease both bodies is by being really flat for that first 5% payout. So if you're paying 15% of the field in a big field, let 15% all the way down to 10% earn roughly the same amount of money. Yeah. And I think the World Series has started to implement this in a lot of the larger fields, and it's really good for everybody involved. So they only get 1.5x their buy-in, finishing 15 to 10% uh, remaining instead of like 1.8 if it was uh, a 12.5% payout table. Who cares? Yeah, I actually think there's... I, I've thought this for a while, but I think there's a, it's worth experimenting with literally just giving people their buy-in back. for like. I said that too. Like just have the have the have pay 20 percent of the field and have 15 percent to 20 percent just get the buy-in back yeah i i said something similar the powers of b think that it's really optically bad people don't and like that, that it puts it puts a sour yeah, people, taste people, in people's mouth it, it does people are like like i played all this time and I, I don't get any i don't make any money like i i got my money back but they don't see that as making money they I, see it uh, as, honestly i think it depends I, in my opinion i think it would be the difference between if you make the money on day one versus day two mm-hmm. i think if you have to come back for day two, you want to make money. You want to actually profit, right? Yeah. But if you get paid out on the same day that you registered, getting your money back wouldn't be all that terrible of yeah. an outcome. Mm-hmm. So know? maybe, maybe that, maybe the only way that that would work is if you drastically increase the number of payouts, like to twenty five percent or something. Yeah, like to the point where you always on day one every tournament you're going to make it that far, 
So there's yeah. no chance that you come back for day two and you still don't actually profit, right? Yeah, the so old like, World Series structures were able to do this. And mm -hmm. that was whenever they're paying fewer people, but you always made the money the last level of day one. Mm -hmm. um, but it was back before everybody wanted piles of chips and you know day one structures were just basically pretty fast. Yeah, maybe there's, maybe there's a way to structure it so that the, the idea is making it, th making it through day one is guaranteed to make a profit and making it to a certain point of day one is guaranteed to make your buy-in back. Yeah, yeah. And then from day two onwards, you start to be like, okay, I'm now pretty, like I'm gonna be making more and more money as I go on. The, the challenge you'll run into there is now you lose these gaudy numbers for first place, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you're paying that extra five to 10% of the field out, or mm -hmm. even just their cash back, a lot of that has to come from top. Top mm -hmm. prize money. Yeah. I and mean, top that, prize money is only paying like 8% now. That would definitely, is. that would definitely be an issue. I guess it would just, it would, it would rely on having to be really flat once you get into the money. Right. Like, just like have hundreds of people make the exact same. Which I money. think, I think that is something we should definitely be leaning into. Oh, I think that's right? fine. Yeah. I don't care um, about that. And I, I really do think that the, 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 the way to really correct the root cause of this problem, if you want people to be able to, to sustain as poker professionals, so to speak, better, is to just be flattening payouts across the board to where instead of it being top heavy in the sense of a couple of places, mm -hmm. it's top heavy in the sense of like a certain percentage of the field. Like the final 5% of the field is making 80% of the money. Yeah. Something along those lines. They should call it the flat earther. Uh, tournament. No, nope, they should and, not. Yeah, you're yeah. terrible at marketing. If, if there was a tournament with only flat earthers, I would play that. Believe me, I would play yeah, that, that tournament. That's fair. That does right. sound pretty profitable. I'm not it's a flat earther, but I would sure as hell get in a tournament where everyone else was. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that... Imposter uh, earther. I, I think that that's the big thing that um, could be challenged and uh, reconsidered from payout table standpoint is that, you know, making it to the money... 15% of the field remaining, even making it to the 10% mark, even the 5% mark, none of this has to come with a pretty hefty reward, right? Like generally speaking, you're less than two thirds of the way through the tournament at that 5% payout mark, mm -hmm. uh, unless it's like a very small field, of course. But even still, even a small field, if you're talking about like, you know, a, a, a 50 person field, um, getting down to the final three players, that's still... I, I, I mean, I guess that's more than two thirds of the way through so, because it's end game. So but. here's here's an interesting concept of how I think it's good to look at this. I think it's good to look at it in terms of you want players to be getting a decent hourly rate, right? Yeah. You want you want that if they play a long time, they should expect to make decent money. And yeah. anytime you arrive in a situation where a player is able to play two, three days of poker and make very little money for it, that player is going to be unhappy. And if that's mm -hmm. a recreational player, they're less likely to play that tournament right. again. So what you want is you want to prioritize having the pay jumps line up with a, a period of time, which is why I think it's good. Like if you make it three quarters of the way through day one, you get your buy-in back. If you make it to the end of day one, you start to make a profit. If you make it to the end of day two, you make X amount more, you know, like stuff like that. I think that's a good way to do it. I still don't know why there's like random numbers for all the payouts and prizes. Like you can very clearly round them all make them up nice numbers well they it's because they're doing percentages but yeah i understand mm -hmm. what you're saying it's like if you want to give 12 and a half percent like 1.5 x and then you want to give uh like you just go by, percent by percent like you're talking about you go from 12 and a half to 
10, then to eight, then to six, and you just gradually increase it. And yeah. then I guess have less for first, second, and third, but that's kind of okay. I mean, we talk about this all the time with major events like WSOP main, WPT main, whatever. Massive for FT. Yeah, there's just like a lot of room to redistribute final table money to like final three tables mm -hmm. where whenever you finish 18th in a field of 5,000, it would be nice to make more than like 15 buy-ins or mm. 10 buy-ins or something like that. I wonder how the DraftKings 50-50 would do now. Now that people are a little bit sharper with like rake and like how tournament payout structures are. Well, 50-50 died because, oh, wait. Yeah, the remember the draft DraftKings? I thought you were talking about like <clears throat> heads up cash games. Yeah, DraftKings did a tournament where 50% of the field got paid out. Uh, I remember this vaguely, but I don't remember what the actual structure of the payouts were. Um, was it just like so if you made top 50, everybody got the money? The buy, -in, the buy -in their was 1500 and you started making a thousand bucks as soon as you cashed. Interesting. Um, so you make less a, than your money back. I had a pretty good turnout. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that is a pretty good turnout. 1100 is pretty good. Shout out to Derek. Yeah, I'll board Derek. Go Derek. second place. Wow. Oh, Derek. Um, yeah, scroll down a little bit. Let me just... Oh, I know Ping. I play with him all the time. Matt Affleck's in there. Uh, Muckle. Muckle Puja. Man, yeah, yeah a lot a really of names. Good uh, but so, if you look at the payouts, so yeah. the, the buy-in was 1500 and <clears throat> just looks like a lot of people just, you know, sort of got money back, I guess, if you want to call it that. Yeah. I mean, I like this. Uh, I like this a lot. First place ends up being... 200K. So it yeah. ends up... I mean, that's... That's big. I think that's, How the fuck they put so much money up honestly, top? Honestly, I, th I think I really like this because I, I think even, even giving somebody only a portion of their buy-in back is fine as long as they don't have to play very long to get that, right? Yeah. If they play half a day and right, they get right, two, yeah, two thirds of their money back, right. that's kind of okay. Like, How, I think most people are okay with man, that. How are they able to put 15% up top? I don't, I, don't, I don't understand. How could you put that much... How how could you have that much of the prize pool That's, up top? What's the prize pool? One point five. One point five. Right? How could you have that much prize pool up top if you're paying half the field? It just seems crazy. I don't, to I don't me. know. I'm seeing an issue with the main and why we're not going to get nice payouts, and it's because if it keeps getting bigger year over year, they're probably going to keep the gimmick going that the biggest yeah. entry that exists will yeah, be yeah, the highest course. payout. Of course, of course. So like this year was twelve point one, and then six point five for second. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's it's just a massive. Honestly, it's right. it's absolutely inexcusable, right? Like, and like, we're not going to go back and say, okay, now that there's more people, let's make the prize structure and, good. And that's what the conversation actually needs to be: is it's it's the redistribution of of wealth, top no, <laughs> uh, of the top prize money, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you actually need that to be distributed amongst the top one percent finishers or or whatever. I'm I'm choosing arbitrary numbers, but like, it needs to be distributed flatly across the board because so much variance does just choose ultimately who wins especially when you don't facilitate chops so though i think this conversation is maybe brought up in the incorrect way when we're looking at like what percentage of the field gets paid out i do think it's a conversation that we should be having and math that the community should be looking into in order to better the average roi now the the thing that's not being spoken about here that is a big part of the root cause is it's impossible to do anything to the structure that makes it easy for players to gain ROI. The, the payout structure is just a distribution of the prizes, mm -hmm. right? So none of that 
should have a massive impact on a player's win rate. The only thing they make the ROI go up is reducing the rake. Well, Basically. right, exactly, exactly. Except rake right. considerations. Well, what right. you're getting at is being really fucking good at heads up, no limit is worth a lot in something like the main. Right. And then it just mm -hmm. and then it just uh, you know carries out forward, right? So being really good at heads up is worth a ton. Being really good three handed is worth a ton. Mm -hmm. Being very good at final table ICM is worth a ton. Being very good at bubble play is worth a ton. So the whole point is like, I understand the desire to find the people who have like a very small win rate in these ABIs that are just barely beating the rake, et cetera, et cetera, and saying like, what can we do to reduce rake considerations? Oh, I know, we can pay more, right? And the easiest way to pay more is to pay fewer spots, yada, yada. But that doesn't actually alleviate the rate considerations. It's just being paid now a, a little bit hefty. Like it, th there's a heftier uh, rake impetus on the losers, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so now you're just creating more losers. Like there's a, there's just like a, a fixed amount of ROI that can be distributed among the field. Yeah, exactly. and it's but all based saying, off of the negative ROI. And it doesn't ROI. matter how they do it. It's just it, it just gets redistributed. Exactly. Right? ROI is driven by the negative ROI that contributes to the field. Right. right? So right. the fewer places you pay, the more negative ROI people you're now instituting into the right. field. Mm -hmm. That break-even player became a loser the now. Total, right. The total ROI of everybody has to add up to whatever the rake is. Right. So right. if the rake is 9% or 10% or something, rake is 10%. The total ROI of everybody has to add up to minus 10%. Correct. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's a way for WSOP... I'm just like always thinking about the main because it's, it's, it's very like toxic to me now, realizing that <laughs> the payouts from now moving forward are based off of systems from previous that were flawed that were very very terrible yeah but like is there a way to switch it to have a good payout structure but then say okay if you make final three tables you're guaranteed at least 500k or whatever or is it just going to be it's like hard first, for them to go back like it's hard first for them to, is right it's hard for them to like break the record this year of entries you think uh, it's going to break and, again yeah probably I, I don't see why i wouldn't I mean, maybe not, but there's a lot. But uh, I, I, I thought I thought I one of be, the worst things that they did last year was right. both attempt to break the record right. of entries and, and, the, num and the first the place, first right. place number. Right, because now yeah. they can't go back. They can't like have 11,000 people or 12,000 people and then have first place be 10 million. I mean, they less. can. In the they, they, oh, they, they definitely can. They definitely right. won't. They, that's, right. that's the thing, right? They, they can't do it because of their perspective that it looks bad. That's right. good. But I don't think anybody that plays the main event really gives a shit about how it looks in the sense of, oh, we didn't, you know, we, we said we broke this record last right. year and now we didn't because right. like, look at two that, look at Jamie Gold's year. Like for 15 years, we were looking back at Jamie Gold's year and going, wow, that was the biggest main event. That was the biggest first prize, whatever. Mm -hmm. And people still played the, like it was like 2006. 2006 or something. People still played the main event. We didn't go, oh, well, they didn't, they didn't successfully follow up on 2006, so now I'm not going to play the main anymore. Like, right. It's just no one thinks that way. I, I think this might be an unfair comparison because I'm not sure that I'm not just cherry picking data here. But since the main event went wow, from paying, look at that, it was 12 and then six. Well, yeah. it was the same thing same last thing. year. It Pretty, was 12.16.5. Right, yeah, yeah. prize pool. Uh, since the main event has shifted from paying 10% to 15%, entries have gone up year over year. So, like, I think I'm cherry-picking data mm -hmm. there. I'm not trying to insinuate that entries have gone up because they're paying more people. But I am kind of lumping it all under one umbrella of more people are having a pleasant experience right. and are more likely mm -hmm. to return in the future. Yeah. And I do think that that's worth speaking about. Um, last, last little bit that I'd, I'd like to touch on that I started to here uh, and then we can move on is um, 
whenever you understand that ROIs mirror one another, that by increasing the ROI of one portion of the player pool, you're decreasing the ROI of another uh, through payout structures or whatever. What, what really has to be understood is that if you want to close that gap, if you want to close the gap between the people who have a zero ROI and a plus ROI, the people who have a slightly negative ROI and a zero ROI, et cetera, if you want to close that gap, you actually have to do things to the tournament structure itself that either increase variance and reduce skill mm. or alter the skill necessary in order to compete like mystery bounty for example mm -hmm. now that's a whole new skill set that isn't necessarily quite as fleshed out and understood which will now create new pockets of skill double board that bomb can be, pots that, yeah double board <laughs> like new yeah. pockets of skill can mm -hmm. develop but the point is you can't you can't point the finger at the like you can't say that the problem is people's rois aren't high enough at the bottom because that's the system. You're playing a zero EV or zero you're playing sum. a zero sum game. Yeah. That's the system. That's mm -hmm. how it's baked in is that right. winners are taking from losers and that will always be the case. So if you're unfortunate enough to fall somewhere in the lower third of break even to losing, nothing that nothing that an operator can do for you outside of making it a flip and go the whole way through can improve your chances. Oh, Landon, you gonna is the is the flip and go part of the uh, bet? No. <laughs> I mean, yes, probably. But, because, yes, but don't play it because you 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 flip until you get in the money and then you play out. The yeah, tournament. it has to be one of the lowest ROI tournaments on I the fucking schedule. I think it it it's funny because it when they first brought it in. It seemed like it was going to be a good one, but the fish don't like it. The, rec the uh, it's, recreation, it's, recreational players don't the, like it at the, all. No, right. the, because they, they make you jump through so many fucking hoops to play the goddamn flip and go. Yeah. Run it online. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like you just run it online the way that you run the, the whatever 10K seat that Lamanna won was, the $82 <laughs> yeah. one where they, they just like flip you amazing. through. You yeah. know what I mean? Right. right. It's seat. all in. It's just an all in tournament. Yeah. Right. Run an all in or bust tournament right. online where you don't, it, it's just set it and forget it. You know, you register, you leave, you get an email the next day and say, hey, congratulations, you You're made in. day honestly, two. Yep. They, honestly, they should run those things for every single event. They just totally run, agree. run online flip and go satellites, rake free every single event. It'd be amazing. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I totally agree. I Are we going to do at, some stretch out at some point? I want to look at the payouts <laughs> of the flip and go first. Are they good? No, 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 the payouts are good. What are you talking about? Well, because first of, place was like one hundred twelve thousand. Well, because some of them are like payout wise are better than others when it comes to like final table stuff, just because of the flip and go prize pool. Marginally, I mean, marginally, uh, most WSOP events are somewhere between eight and twelve percent the first, and then second place being somewhere between half and two-thirds of that prize money so the the distribution has always been and always will be as long as jack is in charge very very top heavy very golden ratio very golden ratioed yeah mm -hmm. we should ratio that structure uh yeah i i would like to think that this was a big part of strat chat yeah i mean this is a dusty fucking event <laughs> it's a 1k and arta was the one who won it that's i should tell you a lot about this event like i don't mm -hmm. i don't want to play a 1k if arthur's massages at the final yeah i mean it's a super tough field where it's like 10 buy-ins up top and if you're a fucking Seaver, you only get even if you get second or better. Wasn't there another one that like, DP'd final table it or something? Like, just like, it was a few years ago, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. when that DJ won. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think this is a big conversation that's a part of Strat Chat, but let's actually get into a hand. So, Matt Glantz, a member of Team Lucky, submitted a hand to us. Uh, he wanted us to give our thoughts, mainly because, and these are my favorite kind of hand history discussions, 
There's no machine that's going to give you an answer. Is he, not, not, is he part of the wise men? I don't know what that means. You know how, like, in the sense of, like, the poker this community, guy's... like, you have, like, people that you'd put on, like, the council. Okay, so, so you, just, count. So you just made up a concept and yeah. presented it to me as though I should know. Yeah, it. he's like, yeah, I'll make this up and is he on it? <laughs> <laughs> like, what, like, what are, like, the old guard, like, people, like, he's not really in poker much for, anymore. I'll tell you what, Landon, for the sake of this conversation, let's say yes. All right, he's the oracle, all right. <laughs> Um, Oracle Glance. So he submitted a hand to us. Uh, and for those of you who are unfamiliar with Team Lucky, it's Wine. Matt Glantz, Sean Deeb, Daniel Weissman, and uh, Josh, or Weinman, sorry, and Josh Aria. You said Weissman and fucking got mm. to me. Uh, My fault. Josh Aria for the fourth. So uh, Glantz basically prefaced and said, okay, I have a hand for you guys to go over. None of us agree on any of the decisions. So there's there's conflict at every stage of this hand. Uh, the way it plays out is they're 35k effective at 300, 600. Under the gun opens min. Glance decides to flat. Yep. Red kings. Uh, under the gun one. The button also calls, and then both blinds call, making it a five-way pot. The pot. The pot's a little off because there's the big blind ante wasn't in the replay. Yeah. So there should be another nine another or 600, 600 in the pot. 600 in the pot. Um, <clears throat> we see a flop of 1094 spades paid club. It checks to Glance, and he decides to stab for about half pot, 3K into 66. The button calls, and the big blind calls. So now we have an SPR of two heading into the turn, which is the Jack of Hearts, not our favorite card. The big blind checks. Glance then decides to check. Now the button reopens action here for one-fifth pot or 20% pot, betting 3K into 15 which obviously is very strange. The big blind elects to call, which I would assume is never really a hand. And then uh, we're left. Just like a lot of Queen X. And now we're left to a decision. Uh, he says, I don't want to ruin the result for you. Discuss. And to preface this for you guys, uh, what he told me about flop decision is one person wanted to check flop in order to check call. Another person wanted to check flop in order to check raise. And a third person wanted to bet flop. Uh, obviously, Glance went uh, on the side of betting flop. What do you guys think, uh, first and foremost, of the flop decision? So, 10 9 4, five ways we I, got red. I think kings. it heavily depends on what the action actually is on the flop. Like, I, I think if it goes, if you, if you check and you check to the, the button mm. and then the other three players fold, I think you can check raise. I think if it goes, button bets, and then it goes, like, call, call. I think check raise is, like, punting. Really? So, I would think the opposite. Really? Yeah, I mean, I mean, if it goes call, call, like, I mean, just, you're I not just, getting trapped. Well, I just don't feel like you have enough equity anymore. Like, I would just, just shove. Oh, you, oh, okay. I mean, that actually kind of becomes okay, I suppose. Like, that does feel slightly better than just check raising to, like, a, a size of... I don't know, like 10K or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think our hand's way too vulnerable, and I, I think that I think our I can get on board with, I can get on board with that if we get to the point where it's like, bet, and there's a bunch of dead money. Right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. That, that, that could work. I think I could get behind that. I don't love betting, um, but if, if we do bet, I think we have to bet a little smaller than 3K. Okay. Um, it's tough. It's tough to bet when you're not last to act in a five-way pot, and then it, like half pot size is only really going to occur here from like the last player to act. Right. That anybody who's not last to act has to bet small in multi-way generally. So I would probably just want to bet like like 1K or something here if I was going to bet. 
Because at least then it gives you the opportunity to react if it goes like bet, raise, re-raise or something like that. Yeah, I think that that's fair. I, I do think that there's some concern and it's probably a little bit valid on these board textures where uh, specifically with the portion of your range that needs protection, um, betting 1K doesn't really service you all that well because now either you get to the turn still multi-way with an inflated pot where you didn't really clean up all that much equity mm -hmm. or people see the bet as like very proby and mm -hmm. uh then attack it in a very strange way where it goes like 1k 3k uh cold call type mm -hmm. of thing and now you're in no man's land well i see it that's funny because i just look at that as like oh well now you just fold because i i just i just really? think if, yeah i mean i i don't think you realize enough equity here unless you end up last to act like if you if you um if you end up here out of position on this texture against the kind of range that actually continues versus that bet i think that i think that a lot of two pair plus is going to raise for sure but i think the range that continues is so like equity dense mm. that it's really, really difficult for you to realize equity because a, a spade, if you get called in any more than one spot on a spade, like you're just dead now. Yeah, I agree with that. And on an sure. eight, you're basically dead. Yeah. On a jack or a queen, you're okay. On an ace, it sucks. Like yeah. You're basically dead. So you're ba you're drawing to like, not if, if you continue here and you're not last to act, you're, you're drawing to a non-spade, non-eight, probably a non-seven, non-board pair as well. And you're also drawing to a check because you can't easily on any of those cards that are a um, like well, this this particular card like realistically if he if he had bet like a, a bigger size here it would become a really awkward decision right so like I I just feel like people are really likely to underestimate how hard it is to realize equity multiway when you're not in position basically yeah I I think that that point is very valid but uh, what I guess is being glossed over a little bit here is that uh, we always have the opportunity to reopen the action, right? Sure. So yeah. um, there is the sense of, can we just run it? I, I mean, I think that starts to get, that starts to get better and better the more out of position you are. You right. Know? And I think that it, it does, it does feel weird just running it for 30 K into a, into a six K pot in a lot of cases. But mm -hmm. I think if you, if you get to a point where you feel like you are up against ranges that are not, you know, th th there's no like protection in there and you feel like you're able to deny equity to like, if you can get like queen jack to fold by just ripping, if you can get spades to just fold by ripping, then you're in a really good spot. Cause here's the thing, like even a hand like 10, nine suited, which mm -hmm. we, we, I would assume would possess here considering we're flatting Kings. Yeah. Um, you know, we have three combos of 10, nine suited, I think that hand suffers the exact same struggles that pocket kings do. Yeah. When it comes to realizing equity I, turn I, distribution. Perhaps even worse because you actually block the stuff that you are Beating. way ahead of. Right. right? Yeah. And everything is live against you when you have 10 9 because even like king 10, queen 10, jack 10, they have backdoor equity. Yeah. You know, yeah. I kind of like jam as like primary option number one. I don't know what the machine would say. I don't really care. Um, <laughs> I like jam. I think jam is sick. You get oh, like check, draws check of jam or just like literally jam. I, I think check jam. Just okay. just like any, in that spot. I think or, just or just really any way to find find a way to jam. Right. Like now, I think the one K becomes a lot more attractive because you do open yourself up to the potential of uh, being the one who ultimately closes the action because it's unlikely, or maybe it's maybe it's not unlikely, but it's maybe not the the highest 
uh, level of probability that it just goes call, 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 call. Mm-hmm. Right? Like somebody's probably going to take a shot at shutting equity out. Uh, yeah, I mean, I really like check jam here. I think it's sick. Yeah, I, the, like if, the, if in this like in this configuration specifically, right? If it goes like check button bets, and you get a call. Right. right. But if, think, it goes, if it goes check button bets, folds to you. I don't like jam anymore. If, if we get if we get to the point where we are like n- n- if we had checked and then it, w- it went button bet big blind call. Now we're getting to the point of there's 12k in the pot and jamming 30k into 12 or 33 into 12k completely reasonable right 34k whatever it is mm-hmm. like that that's much more reasonable because we're we're in a position where the price that like ace 10 would be getting is actually enough that ace 10 might just decide to call you off right um if you were just facing the button it gets a lot trickier like landon says because now you're jamming you know you're jamming like 34k into 9k so you're jamming for like or X pot instead of two and a half, basically. So yeah. it's like a big difference. Well, two and a half. It, well, it's it's a big difference as well as when you have kings in the spot versus back call. You're playing versus four cards, so yeah. it's very likely that uh, ec- someone has equity in the sense of drawing hand. Mm-hmm. Someone has equity in the sense of like ten uh, X plus. We're like. It's very reasonable in that spot versus two people to fold out a draw mm-hmm. or like have them give a, or give them a bad price to call off right, a draw. Right, precisely. Because if you have to go from here to river versus both ranges, you're just going to lose the pot too Especially often. Especially like yeah. in like kind of the live games that like that this hand's probably taking place in. A lot of the time, two turn goes check, check, check. Yep. Mm-hmm. So now you're going to see rivers a lot. You're going to see straight cards come a lot. And now you're in this weird spot where you don't actually get to do anything anymore because blocking is too thin and check calling feels like you're lighting on fire. Yeah, You don't have a hand that always shows down. So you just naturally under realize. Right. And the, I think the, the main sort of lens through which I'm looking at this is, is when you're, when you're looking at multi-way, you have to be very conscious of just how many good runouts there are for you that are essentially like universally good where right. it doesn't really matter how many players are in the pot you know that you're in a very good spot and right with red like feet, if you had spades here instead exactly like if you just if realizing you have, if no you problem just, if you have queen jack here no spades it's like it's very clear that like a brick is is kind of okay or brick is like whatever a spade is bad an eight or a queen is or an eight or a king is very good well right? there's just, just a like lot very, less bricks as you have extra equity as yeah. if you have kings with yeah. a spade here jim there's, would be a light there's very there's a lot less there's, there's more visibility, right, with certain hands here. Um, and, yeah, like you say, with spades, with, you know, with stronger hands, whatever. But when you, when you have red kings specifically, part of the, the issue is that when you, when you do get continued here, some of the weaker hands in the ranges that continue are going to be hands like king jack and king queen, like red king jack and king queen that just have, like, a gut shot. So now, because you double block those hands you're disproportionately more likely to get continued by stuff that has either the like the 8 7 open ender which is completely live against you you're not blocking any of that like broadway um, plus yeah broadway broadway plus stuff um spades like all that stuff even if we just had one spade i would be a lot more confident betting this flop right so i i just feel like having red kings here just becomes really really tricky all right so let me read the back and forth that i had with glance i i think you guys will appreciate because okay i i was kind of playing devil's advocate throughout all this but obviously i agree with almost everything that you said uh so first by the way there's four of them mind you yeah okay one member hates the flat pre. That means three of them 
consensus gr agree. Like the flat plane? I absolutely hate the flat plane. Obviously, yeah. the flat Here's what it's I said. Right. the worst. Here, here's in, what like, I said in, about... In machine land, kings will flat here a small amount. The, the, reason, yeah. why just fold, the, right? the reason why I specifically hate the flat pre is because... Unless you're playing at a table where you can be very confident that everybody behind you is squeezing at the high enough, at a high enough frequency, which is a really rare environment, you're you're now not getting the EV that you should out of flatting kings. Right. Like you, theory, the, the reason to flat the kings in theory here is because you're supposed to get squeezed a lot and then you can back raise. But in practice, people just call, 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 and you just go multi-way a lot. Mm -hmm. so what I said that. is... The flat pre is not great. You're old. Everyone knows you're old man traps. LOL. Valid. <laughs> no need to protect that range when you're an old man. Okay. Baked that in trap. First, yeah. First and foremost, everybody assumes that you have pairs there that back yeah. raise. What if he's severely under three betting? So now he has to flat king. No, because it's uh, that, just too that, transparent. That is that's don't, faulty don't logic. Severely too. under three right. bet is the answer. I'm just saying, but you like, can't retro retroactively go back yeah. and and put three bets in. You should have. Well, the answer is don't be a nit. There we go. <laughs> so then he says, two guys much prefer checking the flop, which I can get behind. Um, however, I think it's a disaster of button checks behind me, which I don't think it's a disaster. I mean, I don't again, think it is at all. Realization is just so difficult. It's just like you, you, you have right. like you have like twenty five percent equity here, five ways. Like, right, it's not that good. And also, hand. yeah, and also just like uh, we get to make much cleaner decisions once the turn comes a brick versus right. non brick. I do whatever. think that's a big point that people kind of try to do when they're playing multi way pots is a mild entitlement of my hand is really good versus these people and I want to make it win now. Mm -hmm. Like right. having red kings in the spot and going for bet and trying to make your hand increase in equity as you get folds diminishes it long term facing call call. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where in reality it's like your hand's not that good versus eight other cards. Right. Yeah. Like yeah you have two great cards like but now mm -hmm. they have eight. Yeah like you have kings versus Omaha. <laughs> Double yeah. Omaha versus right. two, mm -hmm. two Omaha players. Right. 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 So then he says, one member wants to check fl shove flop weird. And I reply, kind of based. I reply, this is good in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I like it. Um, so then he tells me what actually happened. Uh, and I said, okay, yeah, this will be a good discussion. Um, on t okay. So I'll give you guys the results now. He said on turn, I was not intending to check shove, but the button sizing and the overcall makes it the most attractive play to me. Which I agree with him. So ultimately, he checked jam the turn now. Well, I mean, <laughs> what do you want him to do? I think you just peel. I think you just peel as well. Oh, I, man, it feels bad. See, it I, doesn't, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm inclined in spots like this where mm -hmm. we have equity and we're getting a very good price. We're closing the action. To me, it takes a lot in order for, for us to justify reopening. It has to be a really good spot. But I think it is a really good spot. The guy bet 20% pot and got called. That call is dead. There's no way that's a two pair plus hand ever. And to bet to reopen the action on the mm -hmm. button for 20% to me signifies like king queen of spades or nothing. And it's generally going to be like leaning on the 10x that wants to just check down the 9 8 type of hands, uh, perhaps like an ace jack that somehow got here. Sometimes it's probably good for what it's worth. In 20%? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, three, I mean, three perhaps. Like, I, don't I, know if he's, I don't know if he's playing good, but it seems good. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just think having like two kings here, I, I agree with you guys that I would be more inclined to just call if we had aces, I guess. Like this, this doesn't feel oh, good I, to me. This doesn't pass the feel good test. Nothing yeah. feels good though. I, I think... Um, yeah, I mean... There, well, call it's, feels great. It's, actually, it's really me. hard without like... <laughs> profiles here right because right. it matters a ton whether the button is like vaguely good or not here 
it matters a ton whether the big blind is like vaguely good it or doesn't not. pass the vibe check <laughs> <laughs> uh, well i i think that it's it's hard for it's hard for shoving to be a disaster mm -hmm. because you still have equity if you run into something you block mm -hmm. the king queen right um but I would be, I think that the likelihood of running into like the eight, seven and the two pair there is probably higher than it seems yeah. just because of how condensed the continuing ranges on the flop are. I think a lot of 10 X is actually going to check that turn. I think a lot of Jack X is probably going to check that turn. Well, I, I think almost all the Jack X and 10 X is going to be, <laughs> uh, I think almost all the Jack X and 10 X is, is like going it. to have a straight draw also. Uh, th there's just very, very little of it that doesn't except right. for exactly ace jack ace 10 and yeah. that should squeeze sometimes pre yeah but then this is this is where we get into like what kind of environment and profiles are we sure. dealing with right mm -hmm. because well we're if, playing a five-way pot live you can yeah. guess the environment i'm sure. guessing i mean yeah but this is this is why i think the the, the not three bet is a torch and yeah, why agreed. it starts to like it, it starts to get into the territory where the weaker these opponents are the more of an argument I think there is for small bet on flop because they're going to tell you how good their hand is yeah. when they respond. Yeah, right? yeah. If, you, if, it, if it goes small bet and it goes call, call, turns a brick, you have the best hand almost always. If, yeah. it, if it goes small bet, raise, re-raise, or raise, call, call, or something like that, now your hand is trash and you can fold. Or so, jam. Or Yeah, or, yeah. or jam possibly. Yeah. But you, I, I think, no matter I think, what, you're not going to continue to try to get the showdown exactly yeah like i basically i think that the the weaker your opponents are the more argument there is for like almost like an information bet in these environments right. honestly because they are going to the action that takes place after you make a small bet here multi-way is going to heavily inform what the exact ranges look like and if the ranges are heavily imbalanced you're going to be able to take a subsequent action based off of that as opposed to we put in 3k and then now we're we're getting closer to almost being committed like if it goes bet raise and it's just back to us like are we just going to rip and get it in heads up here against the raising range that i imagine at that great. point he would just fold but that feels even worse right bet, yeah bet 3k and fold to a raise like that feels awful so like it, it's just well it's because it's still the information bet is just twice as or three times it, as that's large what I mean. as, that's why it feels worse it. it's yeah. like at least if you're going to bet i think the uh, the the reason for not betting 3k is specifically because you're not last to act and because there is some universe here where you can just make a fold because crazy action occurs and you're right. just obviously dead, right? Yeah, I, I think the big takeaway here is first and foremost, uh, I, I think it's damn near mandatory to three bet pre. 50 big blinds effective at the relatively early stages of an MTT. Uh, I don't believe this is the time to be trapping. Just and get the money in. I think mm -hmm. the biggest habit that people can get into is if they feel like they under three bet this formation, like under the gun, under the gun mm -hmm. one type of stuff, just get in the habit of three betting to like four and a half or five big blinds mm -hmm. and just do it with a few more hands than you feel comfortable with. Like yeah. the second that you put in that three bet with 10, nine suited there for four and a half bigs, you'll realize like how much more easy it is to navigate this scenario. Right, because like you don't find the four bet coming from under the gun as often, and you don't see people fucking with you behind with a four cold four bet or anything along those lines, right? Like you just don't want to get in the habit of like, oh, I'm too tight in my three bet in this formation, so therefore I'm going to expand my calling range right. with good hands. Yeah. yeah, this is the it's the old man coffee strategy of which Landon I, loves because he's cringing over, I, he's dying. To I know, speak. I know that I don't three bet enough, <laughs> well, therefore. <laughs> I'm going to. Therefore, I have to trap more. <laughs> right. Yeah. Go, I ahead, go, ahead, go ahead. Don't don't do that to nine suited. 
Blood and Kings is. I'm. I'm. I'm gonna give you a pass. It's fine. It's fine. I wouldn't do it very often, but I'm okay with this. See, okay. that's the that's the problem though. Is like you take these things that happen at a low frequency and say like, oh, I'm okay with this. But what you're not recognizing is like this is the standard play. This wasn't a one off. Like three out of four of them agree that the flat is good, which means that the flat comes through know, here way too often. I don't often. know how long he's he's been flatting kings versus gunning. I think we should bet on who it was that didn't like the flat, and I think I know. Who did not like it? Yeah. I'm but, sure Sean Deeb did not like it. Yeah, that's going to be Sean, right? It's going to oh, be... Oh, I would have guessed Wine, Weinman. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I don't know. See, I don't know Weinman too well, so I, I'm I not like sure that about they're that. like mystery, you know? Like, I don't know who I agree with, with like Chuck, Chuck Shove flop being good, you know? Right. Like when you said that, like yeah. me, you, and the mystery I think, I member. Think, I think Deeb would be the one to check jam flop. That seems about right to me, yeah. Yeah, if I had to guess. All right. Um, I'll take that. Yeah, and I would guess that REA was the one who wanted the bet, and Weinman wanted the check call. That, that would be how I would move the if puzzle were, pieces if, here. In my brain, if I were to tier list the options, I would start with check jam being number one, mm-hmm. check call being number two. Uh, bet. Bet. Number be, three. Uh, yeah. Bet. Check, it, check it, fold being four. Correct. Bet yeah. being number three. And the point of like why betting multi-way is very difficult and with hands like this is for the aforementioned reasons of two versus eight. Yeah. Where it goes check like bet call call close action right because like after the button calls the big blind if they have a decentish hand can call and close action yeah and then sometimes their ranges on the turn are actually going to be stronger than in theory because in theory big blind might have turn leads right. on some board pairing improves or like some maybe some spades you know where in, in actuality it goes check 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 and now you let everybody see an extra card because you can't bet on a hand on like also an for what space. it's worth we didn't really discuss this option but i think betting the turn might actually be very viable too like we have all the king queen uh, i guess we it's don't like, I, I guess i, mean, I guess we don't have king queen off. i think you can you can do it like you can like block bet. block yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah like just like bet 3k again, three or 4k like the, bu- yeah. like the button did yeah yeah, yeah. And then, then, like, it just sucks when you get raised. But I don't know. I'm bro- you, it. you broke me. You broke it to me. I am gonna, that's because you want him to flat pre. I'm going to take that. Off. I want him to check you on the flop. I think that's sick. <laughs> I'm I take- think it's pretty good. Like, really good. Yeah. It might be, like, super good. Because, like, Queen 10 probably sticks it in with you, and they shouldn't. Or, like, bad flush drop puts it in, and they probably shouldn't. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I'm going to run this on Rocket Solver. We're going we're gonna to run it five ways, and we'll see. All right. We're going to come with some sort of solution here in the future. The solver uh, probably likes the king of spades, so, though. The, sol- the solver is going to tell us this is a, you know, the, the solver is going to tell us some other crazy line. It's going to tell us, like, bet one big blind or something on right. the flop. On every street, probably. That would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was, a, it was a bomb pot. Uh biggest takeaway in my opinion make your life easy three bet your hand pre don't worry about running into it also multi-ways hard yeah multi-ways hard like that's a big thing worth avoiding like you know landon doesn't want you to three bet the 10-9 suited don't quit, do that. quit being a pussy versus gun eight <laughs> what are you nuts quit you being nuts? a pussy <laughs> it's only four blinds gun eight bro you can't gun, gun eight. eight you can't gun eight ten nine but what are gun we doing eight. gun eight what are we doing it's terrible. Hold your hand. Landon's trying to make gun happen, just yeah. like calling it gun. Well, he's saying like under the read the hand history again from the start. Look how many unnecessary words existed. You can't three. You can't three exclamation point against gun eight. <laughs> uh, the three exclamation points been gone. Wait, read, read it again. I'm he's not like eight handed. I'm under the gun one. Bro, Glance is old. Back off him, man. He he got us a coherent hand history. I'm proud of him. (laughs) Okay? Thank you, Matt. We appreciate your contribution to the show. Uh, User submission. We're going to give you an actual solver output at some point, but I think all of us come to the consensus of don't love the flat pre, whatever. It's okay if it happens. We all do not. 
All of us prefer checking on the flop. <laughs> yes. Uh, sure. With the option to check jam. Yes. Mm-hmm. If we do choose to check call, then this turn jack, not really mm-hmm. great for us. Probably check want to navigate. Nice. And, and this is all, I mean, you're, you're playing this from a chippy V perspective, right? Because it's pretty early. Uh, yeah, in the it has to be pretty early. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's super early. Like. Right. So there's no like ICM considerations. Right? No, no, Minimal, yeah. Substantially. Right. Yeah. Andy's rich. Just rebuy if they got Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Go you, hit you the rebuy. You won the million dollar right. bounty. Just, just rebuy. Yeah. <laughs> ship it all right that's gonna do it for strat chat <laughs> thank you team lucky uh please reveal which of you wanted to do what and let us know how accurate we were in our assumptions um that's gonna do it for us today hunt as always thank you so much for joining us happy to be here don't forget we do have a merch line if you guys are interested in that click the uh pinned comment above we also have two academies coming up in may we're going to have the cash academy followed by the mtt academy leading into the wsop a few if more seats have... just went so they're, they're going to go quick oh shit they're flying the they're flying off the shelf uh academy.softwarewide.io i'll be leading the cash matt will be leading the mtt we'll all be back for you tomorrow at noon pacific be sure to join us then we'll see you guys all tomorrow peace peace, peace.